Welcome to episode 12 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined once again by Dave Barker. Hi, how are you doing? As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and over on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you'd like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. The support from our patrons helps towards the cost of producing the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. And finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can also do that. Because now you can visit the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate links below to visit the web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything I've just discussed are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. Which it has been doing tons of in our recent absence. (laughs) It has, especially the Facebook group. I've not been on Twitter for a while myself, but the Facebook group has had an explosion of interest, uh, which has been really great to see so many people uh, posting what they've been working on, their armies, their terrain, their games, whatever it is. Yeah, it's been brilliant. And I'm sure regular listeners will be aware that it has been a little while um, since we were last recording, and that is because I've had my second child (laughs) in the last month. Yay, congratulations, Tony. (laughs) Thank you. So yeah, um, his birthday was coinc- coincidentally. He shares a birthday with Jake, like he was actually born on the tenth of Jan. So uh, it's been a, a fun couple of weeks, but basically that's why I've just not had a chance to sit down and record the show recently. Um, so I've managed. I've managed to find a few hours this evening, uh, and you've managed to get yourself sat down with me. And now we're actually getting another show put together. I don't quite know how long it'll be. Before it gets edited and out, but hopefully it won't be long. So yeah. I know that I've been listeners who've been waiting for the next episode because it has been a longer than usual break for us. Um, and I think yeah, absolutely. And uh, for those of our listeners that want to know how long it takes Tony to get it sorted out, it's the twenty fifth of January as we uh, February <laughs> as we're recording. <laughs> I nearly got you there, Tony. You can figure it out for yourselves, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, like I imagine for the foreseeable future, it might sort of still drop into a, a monthly, maybe three weekly sort of rotation. But I'm hoping that as Charlie gets a little bigger and things sort of like return to normal, then it'll, we'll get back to our sort of like bi weekly um, schedule. But I don't quite know right now when that will be, but hopefully it won't take too long. And in the meantime, still going to be busy doing lots of hobby, so I'm just going to be working on my paint station garrison. Cool. Yeah, we can always keep that going, keep us sane. Mm. So, this week, month, or whenever, I guess you want to call it, but in this show, we're going to be taking a look at what we have been up to pretty much since the start of the year, really, because um, so I think it was 5th of Jan when we last recorded so yes, more or less um, everything we've been up to so far in 2020 in the Penn Station Garrison. 
Uh, we will be actually featuring a new segment where we'll be looking at everything that's been going on in the growing Facebook group. We'll be checking in with some games played, and then our spotlight topic for tonight is going to be it's going to be a returning feature. It's a mission focus. So the last mission focus we did was on the running battles mission, which is the one where like the scenery and and the units and everything like move backwards or treadmill style throughout the game to represent a battle roaming across um, a battlefield. But tonight we're going to be discussing the Serpent's Lure from um, Vigilus Ablaze, which is a very, very abstract mission and a brilliant one. And um, it's one that I really want to try at some point in the future and I think a lot of people could have fun with, but we'll have to wait until then to find out the details of what it is. So, um, yeah, that's basically what we're going to be discussing tonight. That sounds good. So, to that end, I think we will jump over to the paint station garrison and we will catch up with what we're actually working on. So, we will be back in a second, guys. And we are back, guys. And believe it or not, I'm painting a beer can. A beer can? Yep, because right now... We the brand. Um, <laughs> war energy, maybe. Because <laughs> uh, right now I've got this uh, brand new Boom Dacker Snaz Wagon that I've started painting on. And it has got one of the best little features in it ever. And it's inside the cockpit in the compartment. There's basically just like a footwell full of crushed beer cans and like beer bottles and stuff. It's ridiculous. Are those beer cans and not like fungus energy drinks? It might be. I, I, I don't know what the grots have been putting in them, but the, but the thing is that I've been working on it now and I've just been like shading the, um, I don't know, te- I don't know, parts of cars, but like basically, like, I mean, guesstimate cross beam or whatever that runs down the main chassis. And there's a freaking little drink holder, like, inset into it. Like, I knew there were the beer cans in the base of the footwell, but there's an actual top of a beer can that's stood upright in this drink holder next to this off driver and that's amazing that's <laughs> an amazing little feature I hadn't noticed before <laughs> brilliant absolutely brilliant so yeah I'm, I'm painting wire energy <laughs> um, but yeah so I mean this is basically brand new and I'm just applying a shade to all the um, the lead voucher areas which is what I've base coated it with because this is the second um, model that I've painted using the lead belcher base paint uh, and I have to say so far I'm really enjoying it because the I've not finished the first one that's currently in my ongoing section which is the death killer war trike but I found it it goes on really nicely and any other colours I've used like the green for the skin or the blue for the armor plates has gone over the top really neatly like it hasn't okay. been any harder to apply so really it's just been a wonderful time saver nice um, but yeah, that's that's the sort of stuff I'm literally working on at this moment in time in my, in my hand. But I have been busy with a lot of so like large project stuff over the start of 2020. So I think I mentioned on the last podcast, if I can remember back that far, um, that I had been preparing a load of Sector Imperialis terrain for building. Um, and basically I spent, I think, about a week putting it all together, but I'm so pleased with the result. Like, I've got a really big sort of, like, modular pair of buildings and statues and, like, a 
skywalk walkway between them. Um, and adding that to the two previous like large sector imperialist buildings I've got, I feel like I've got a proper sort of like city centre space now. So like I feel like I could be, play a, a cities of death battle feasibly with these buildings and the other assorted ruins I've got. Um, and feel like it's more than just a few L-shaped buildings, like a proper city layout. So that's good. I just need to get them painted now. Um, yeah, it's always outside of that kind of terrain. Yeah, enough of that kind of terrain to, to play good battles on. Um, uh, one of the things I enjoy going down to the club is we've got enough terrain to do exactly that kind of thing. And with some of the World War II interests, some of the things like Stalingrad terrain and things is, is ideal for World War II. So um, good to hear you've got that in a collection you can enjoy it now, Tony. Yeah, well, totally lost my train of thought. Um, I was going to say something, Kevin, but. Nope, it's gone. Oh well. So yeah, so I've got those built and they are coming together nicely. I've got one of my two previous ones recently just undercoated. So I've I used the sort of like Xenophil highlighting technique, not highlighting, like the Xenophil priming technique um, yep. that I actually heard them discussing on Warhammer TV. It was. Um, one of the hangout and painted Duncan a few months ago, obviously, not recently, unfortunately. But <laughs> yeah, if it's Duncan, of yeah. course. <laughs> um, and he'd been talking about how we basically you know, undercoated these big city buildings, like, you know, Chaos Black, whatever, or Abandon Black, whatever it is these days. Um, and then using the sort of like angled spraying approach with um, other colours, you know, to create basically like a highlighted colour so they left the darker tones in the recesses. And um, by using Ministratum Standard Grey and Sandry Dust, I get like a good 70, 80% of the painting done straight away. I like to use um, like the grey on the outside and the Sandry Dust on the inside because I actually think it looks really nice when the buildings have a clear colour palette change for like interior and exterior. And it's not just the same tone for both. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It makes them look a little bit more realistic and... um a bit more like scale models rather than just uh, terrain pieces, right? Yeah, and, it, and it's, you know, using that sort of technique, it's dead simple to achieve. It doesn't take any more, any, any more effort than just changing can halfway through spraying. Um, so yeah, I've got, let's say, a second ruin, which is like my three-tier kind of like ecclesiarchy buildings. It's got some of the statues on pillars, and that's all ready for me to do the details now, so things like um, the metal work on the outsides of the walls, the doors, and then the floor panels on all the different levels. Um, but then what else have I got? Oh, I've uh, built the Skyshield landing pad, and I'm looking forward to trying out the lead belcher spray on that. Is that the classic one? That's not changed in some time, right, that, that kit? No, it is, the, uh, it is like the classic Sky Shield landing pad, you say, is a, is a good couple of years under its belt now, is that thing. But I've wanted one for years, and I've just never yeah. got around to getting one of it. So I got it for Christmas, it is now built, and it now needs to get sprayed metal. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, unlike previous editions, we can't fire uh, whirlwinds from underneath it so that the <laughs> we can't be targeted. But uh, <laughs> still a lovely piece of terrain. Um, I actually think it's going to be really useful for Necromunda as well, you see, because it's sort of like... Um, a nice, large, raised floor section. 
So I can have some barricades and crates and gangers on there. It'll feel like more than just like a single gantry. It'll be a nice high level floor, but with a good bit of a footprint to it. Um, so there's going to be a proper little battle on it. Um, that's yeah, what I was going to say earlier. Ah, just remembered. Like the Imperialis buildings, one of the things I really want to try and achieve with city fighting is that sense of vertical height, like verticality to a game. So not just having your L-shaped ruins with like one floor in it, but having these multifaceted buildings with different approaches and sides and angles with three, with like two or three floors to them and then walkways between those floor levels so that you really do get a sense of fighting in the upper echelons of buildings. And the Skyshare landing pad is going to be another helpful piece for that. Like, I think it's feasible. Yeah, yeah, you could absolutely. quite easily get, like, two of them and stack them directly on top of each other. It could be. Yeah, but even even each of those floors is quite an open area because it's, it's what, nearly a foot square? Um, so yeah. it's, uh, it's quite an open area for, for Necromunda. Well, I say once you add in then like you scatter it and stuff, but I think it'll be a good um, basis for like flaws between buildings, especially since it doesn't conform to the sort of standard five-inch height per floor. It'll add yes. sort of like a, a mid-level between it, which will be a nice yeah. touch. Um, so yeah, and then what else have I been doing? Um, oh, I finished the Looted Chimera, which I was basically working on over the new year. Um, that actually got a lot of um, like positive feedback and stuff from my social feeds so like over on Instagram and Twitter people were really enjoying it um, and that, that was a pleasure to work on it was um, yeah no it looks really nice I, I, I was really impressed with that when I saw that come up on the feed it was kind of like a little labour of love with that thing because it's been built for like a couple of editions now and what it actually ends up playing as on the tabletop tends to change almost every edition because yeah. it's a looted Chimera. When I built it, I just wanted to have a looted Imperial vehicle that wasn't a Lehman Russ, basically, or a Space Marine tank. <laughs> so I thought, well, what other tanks would make a good basis for a looted vehicle? And I was like, well, the, the Chimera's got a nice chassis to it, a nice outline, I can, can do something with that. Put a great big whopping zap cannon on its turret and there's some big shooters on its hull and it's good to go but yeah. I think originally it was a looted wagon then I think it was a, um, a truck for a while but like in this edition I tend to use it as a battle wagon because it's a bit it's a bit too chunky to just be a truck right. <laughs> especially when it's got this big like zap cannon on top of it um so I just use it basically as a transport for like my Mega Novs and stuff now at the moment. But yeah, yeah. it might end up being a, a legitimate looted wagon in some games if it ever makes its way back into the the Orc range nicely and not just in the unfortunate sort of like chapter approved data sheet that's a bit difficult to actually use feasibly. But who knows? Yeah. Maybe Saga and the Beast will give me it. I doubt yeah, it. no, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then I'm working on the Death Killer Wartrike um, at work on my lunch breaks, so he's coming together nicely. He's been a lot of fun, actually. And it's the first one of these like new orc buggies that I've properly worked on, and um, I'm enjoying it. Uh, these are the ones that came out. One of the ones that came out along with Speed Freaks. 
Yes. So when they released six new buggies, because it was basically one per clan, um, yeah, this yeah. is like the equivalent of the Goff clan vehicle. So it's the like the boss knob on bike. That's kind of like well, yeah. he's, he's on a trike and he's got like his driver right. and he's got the like grapple claw. Um, and obviously, being a Death Skull, mine is a, a mech boss, so he's got um, the fixer uppers, which is like this welding glove I've kind of like built on his one arm for him, um, and then this big rucksack backpack, which I think is actually from Snickrot, but it looks really nice because it looks like it's his all these scavenged loots that he's been riding around collecting up and putting in his bag <laughs> to take back to the workshop. Um, so he's coming on nicely, I reckon. I would hope to have him done by the next show. Um, especially if it's going to be <laughs> this sort of uh, time delay between episodes, but who knows. Um, and then the other sort of project I've been doing is in this last month, that's like the last three weeks, I've really been able to find some time to sit down and try and sort out my actual hobby space because I've finally been able to get back into the office now that it's all been decorated properly. <laughs> Um, so I've been really clearing out my backlog um, from all my old sort of like models and kits and boxes and reorganizing my storage and all sorts and just really putting together a nice new sort of like permanent state hobby desk. So that's been a lot of fun because it's just nice seeing it come together. Um, and as part of that... Yeah, it's good to have. It's good to have a nice space to, to sit down and leave it set up so you can come back to it. It's not possible for everybody. It depends on, on, oh, on how yeah. you can arrange your house and your life. But when you when you, when you you are able to achieve that, it really does uh, help the productivity just hardly being able to leave things set up there and come back to it when you're ready to, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been absolutely loving sort of like working out of a box um, at work and on evenings on the sofa and stuff because it really kind of... It helps focus a project because you can only really have space for the models and paints that you're working on there and then. So it kind of avoids clutter or, you know, lots of projects which is waiting in um, a state of half complete. Um, yeah. But that said, now that I've been able to get my more permanent setup organized again, I've taken that time and opportunity to really sort of reorganize everything I've got stored, everything I'm keeping, you know, sell a couple of things that I don't want or not going to get around to. Um, and part of that has been, I've actually repurposed a whole bunch of various models to be different Necromunda things. So primarily out of that, I've managed to build a practically a whole Chaos Helot gang for Necromunda okay. just from what I had spare lying around which is kind of ridiculous when I think about it, but I'm impressed that I put together these, it's nearly 20 guys plus a chaos spawn, and I didn't even spend a penny. Yeah, maybe we don't talk about my lead mountain today then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I even like repurposed a couple of models to be like bounty hunters and stuff. Um, I found I had an old um, Sigmarite priest from Fantasy Battle, um, and I've actually seen him sort of get used as a little bit as like a, a 40k uh, priest before. So I've basically done the same sort of thing. I've stripped him of his twin tail comet insignia and stuff and um, swapped out his warhammer for a chainsaw and uh, his book for an auto pistol. And he just looks like a, a very sort of corridor sort of preacher. Yeah. And um, 
I've kept the shield that's on his arm, but I'd say I've completely like removed all the heraldry and stuff that's on it because it's just like a round slab shield. So I'm going to paint it okay. up like it actually is a, a ceramite shield, like he's just taking like a bulkhead door or something, and um, he uses it to just uh, cover himself as he's preaching at the heretics and uh, advancing before he can hit them with his chainsaw. Sounds great. Um, I'm looking forward to when you finish painting those and uh, you post them online. Oh yeah, everything that I sort of finished, and I've been putting up a, few, a fair few sort of like work in progress shots as well recently uh, over on Instagram. I'm going to put a few more in the Facebook group because I, I tend to sort of stick more to uh, either finished or like main milestone posts for the Facebook group rather than just lots yep. of lots of work in progress. Um, but if you do want to see all my various work in progress stuff, then Instagram's the place to be. Yeah. Post practically everything in about what stage is that over there. Uh, yeah, I must admit, I tend to post to post finished stuff rather than work in progress stuff. Mostly because I don't like showing off my work in progress stuff <laughs> rather than for any other reason. I, I never tend but, to uh, post anything if it's not got at least some washes on it and they've dried. Because mm-hmm. I do not like taking a picture of a model when it's still got wet washes on it, and I don't like taking a picture of a model when it's just the initial base colours with no washing. Right, right. Like, I kind of get to a, a bare minimum state of progress before I even think about posting pictures. But after that, it's kind of like um, fair game for almost every sort of bit of detailing and extras. Um, but yeah, uh, so. That's kind of everything I've been up to. It's been a, it's been a surprisingly busy month because whenever I've found the time to sit down and not immediately fall asleep, um, I've been sitting down and doing hobby. Um, so yeah, what about you, Dave? What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, like what I've had a busy month. I've uh, one of the things I. Uh... I think I mentioned it on the last podcast. I managed to finish my Rainbow Warrior Chapter Master. Uh, he's a pretty standard Terminator sergeant, but um, he uh, he finished about the same time as we finished, we recorded the last episode. So uh, both of us are certainly on the Facebook group, uh, the Narrative Wargamer Facebook group, if, if people want to see him. I've also managed to finish five uh, Assault Marines. They're the first uh, Rainbow Warrior Assault Marines that I've, I've ever, ever painted. Uh, with the jump packs, and um, I'm really pleased with the way they've come out. Uh, and while I've finished five of them, I've got another five that are very nearly finished, uh, uh, just to require a little bit more in the way of uh, washing some of their gold detail and, and, and a few highlights and a couple of uh, insignia details, and they'll be done. <clears throat> so that'll be a, a full squad of ten of those, uh, very nearly finished. And I finished a couple more characters out of the, I, I think I said last uh, episode, uh, over Christmas I converted a couple, well, rescued a couple of hundred old space marines that somebody was getting rid of and <laughs> into squads and added plasma guns where needed or chainsaws or whatever was missing. Uh, these 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 assault marines come out with that a lot as well. Uh, but out of that I've also got a couple of weird characters. <laughs> so um, I, I finished a, a, a lieutenant um, which is, is a pretty normal guy with a, a chainsaw and a bolt pistol. He could have been a, an assault marine without a jump pack except uh, he's got a helmet with a crest on. Um, so uh, I've uh, just finished him this evening, um, as well as a chaplain. <clears throat> and uh, I've never painted a chaplain for my rainbow warriors before. Uh, and this guy looks quite nice. He's got uh, the, the berserker legs with the chains and the skull. So it like, just looks a little bit ornate. Uh, sorry, the chaos berserker uh, legs with the blood angel's uh, torso. Uh, and some older style shoulder pads with those big rims uh, from, from, from 30k. Um 
uh, and a normal backpack with a banner and then painted up mostly in black with uh, rainbows and a, a great big massive two-handed axe with a rainbow head so uh, and a few transfers because I, I do like transfers they uh, I do plenty of freehand but uh, I'm also a fan of transfers as well so I finished those characters in uh, uh, recently so uh, I've never I don't know what to do with a chaplain I've never fielded a chaplain um, that's one of the reasons I painted him so Hopefully he's got auras and buffs I, I understand that I can use. I need to read up on those. And uh, I've got a game organised for Friday, so I'm sure he'll make it into the army. He's got lots of litanies, lots of shouting about the Emperor and how amazing he is, and apparently the Space Marines yeah. find it encouraging. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. Those that believe. I'm sure there's a, there's a split in belief, but that's... Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's that's cool. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and then work in progress. Five more rainbow warriors. That's, I already mentioned for for salt marines. I've got uh, five more of uh, those. Uh, I mentioned before the the space dwarves from Hasselfree called Grim. Uh, they're in progress. I've got a, a rainbow warrior tech marine half painted. Um, so another tech marine. I've already got three or four of those, but you never have too many. And this is a really quite nice old model. Um, so so I wanted to do him. And I, I've, I've slowly. Uh, I don't have enough marine homies. So I've got all these rainbow warriors. I've got dark angels. I've got what else have I got? <laughs> Black Templars. And um, I've been working on the, the Black Legion as well. And, uh, but I wanted Blood Angel Army. I've always wanted a Blood Angel Army in classic colours, so I've started uh, my first figure for that. I've got an old metal. I guess these days you'd call him a, a smash captain. I think he's a few editions older than that, but he is a, a jump pack captain with a large two-handed hammer, so I guess he counts, right? Pretty much. <laughs> maybe, maybe not full, Not fully pimped out. He's not got the shield. <laughs> but... Um, I also suddenly realised I've been thinking I want Blood Angels for a long time and I've been thinking about the colour scheme. I know I'm, I mean I know what the colour scheme is, but I want something a little bit more second edition, something a bit more orangey red than a lot of the dark reds that you see these days. And it suddenly clicked about I don't know, maybe a week ago, I know what I need to do. I need to prime in white so he's nice and bright. Um, and I use the Halfords white space uh, quite often. Um, so you with the uh, I end in yellow contrast paint, you get quite a nice yellow that comes out of that. Um, so I painted him yellow first, and then I painted Blood Angels contrast red over the top of that. And that's got me quite a nice orangey red that I'm really, really pleased with. So um, that's given me what I need to do to get on with my Blood Angels army in between the Rainbow Warriors, just so I've got some that are a little bit plainer, not quite as pimped out as the Rainbow Warriors. Um... So he's, he's progressing nicely as a work in progress, and many, many other things, all those marines that I mentioned. Uh, I might have acquired a second-hand, largely jet bike, uh, Custodes Force that needs a little bit of work cleaning up, which I've not done anything on. And uh, uh, I've got another couple of blood ball teams that, that I need to get lined up and ready to paint. Not to mention some zenith lighting that I want to do. You mentioned you'd done zenith light lighting on your terrain, right? Yeah, because it, it's just really helpful for establishing like the shading to the building without actually having to shade it, you know, you don't yeah. have to bother with a Absolutely. I, I saw an article on this. I've known the technique and I've never tried it myself. It's something I want to do. And I saw a technique for using Citadel contrast paints and Zenithal highlighting for painting World War II armies really quickly. And as I mentioned before, I, I played bolt action as well for World War II. Um, and it looks amazingly quick and easy. So I'm going to try and give that a go in the next few weeks. Um, Losing little highlighting on uh, a couple of squads of uh, British Desert Infantry and see whether I can use the the colour schemes in that blog article to uh, uh, to get quick and easy, good looking figures on the table for, for World War Two as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's worked brilliantly on large scale stuff like buildings. 
So I'm yeah. sure there'll be a nice middle ground to hit for smaller models as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the last thing I've been doing really is uh, I've been doing some more 3D printing. So um, I think I mentioned before I've got a 3D printer at home and uh, one of my mates is running another Necromunda campaign uh, in our local club. And uh, he is, he's gone heavily into his enforcers and he found a, a an enforcers tile, uh, <laughs> a 6x6 uh, tile on Thingiverse. And he's asked me to print out a whole load of them. So uh, I've started doing that. I've got a couple of the first good prints in front of me at the moment as we speak. Uh, and they do look nice. They've, they've come out really quite nicely. So uh, he wants a whole bunch of those to make a custom terrain piece. So I've been doing a lot of 3D printing for, for Necromunda recently as well. And I've got a bit more, a few more STL files lined up to do some, some terrain of my own for, uh, for 40k too. Well, there's rumours in my local area that there might be a... An Echo Wonder campaign starting up soon, which I'd be very interested if come March that actually comes to fruition. But I remain sceptical if it will actually come together at this point. And unfortunately, I don't quite have the time or resources to sort of kind of champion it right now. But maybe in a month or two, I might do. And uh, it might just be yeah. in time for some cheeky House of Blades book for my yeah, that sounds good. So Yeah, I've not, I've not been able to join this one myself. Uh, which is, is unfortunate. I just can't keep up. Uh, I don't have time to commit to the games at the moment, so I, I'll not disrupt everybody else's fun. But, um, but uh, Dan's invited me to help play on some of the, the... He has a couple of set-piece games that, that need a, a you know a non-participating player to, to deal with hordes and things like that. So oh, yeah, I'm yeah. sure I'll join in and, and help with the fun as well as helping get the terrain in place. I'm sure we Awesome. Um, so I think that's it for what I've been working on. Uh, quite a lot again, but um, you know, keeps me off the streets, but it doesn't stop me drinking beer, as I always say to my wife. <laughs> awesome. Well, normally at this point, since we've talked about what we've been up to, so like hobby-wise, like painting and building and such, we'd normally go on to talk about what we've been doing playing, like playing games, but not tonight. Because now we have our new segment coming up where actually we showcase what people have been up to in the Facebook group. So this is going to be our brand new segment, the Community Edge Highlights. So yeah, we'll, uh, we're going to jump into that right now and we'll see what all you guys have been up to over in the Facebook group. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we are back, guys, and it's exciting times. New segment on the show, and it's what all you guys have been up to over in the Facebook group, because, as we sort of alluded to earlier, it's really been exploding, like, in this last month. Um, and I want to say, like, it's it's been really encouraging to see, because whilst it's taken us, you know, life's gotten in the way between us actually getting to the mic and recording another show... But it doesn't feel like we've been disconnected from you guys because 
we've just had so many more people joining the group recently and posting all the cool things that they're working on or the games they've been playing and it's encouraging to see a lot of people <laughs> as you would expect they're sort of joining the group and just being really enthusiastic about the fact that there's a place they can go to discuss and show the sort of narrative gameplay stuff that they're up to um, and I love it I love yeah, it's really good it to see so many people out there like us right Tony <laughs> yeah now, um, I, I want to start off by saying a big thank you to Carl over at the Independent Characters podcast. Um, if you haven't ever heard of, which I don't know how you wouldn't have heard of the Independent Characters, but if you haven't done, go check out that podcast. It's brilliant. They're one of the, the longest standing like 40k podcasts out there, and it's brilliant quality. But why I want to say thank you to Carl is because um, their most recent episode was entitled um, Extreme Narrative Gaming. And it basically did a whole episode talking about narrative gaming, which, as you can imagine, kind of resonated with me. So much so that I decided to get in touch with him and basically share my thoughts on narrative gaming, what it means to me, or why, obviously, it's such an important part of the hobby for me. And I mentioned to him, obviously, that because of that, I'd started a podcast dedicated to narrative content, which was something they'd mentioned in their show, is that, you know, there is this majority of content online for competitive play and that there isn't a ton of yeah. narrative play content out there. So, you know, I didn't want to get all preachy and self-promote in the independent characters Facebook group because I think it would have been entitled to do that, really. Um, so yeah. I didn't really want to promote the podcast over there. So that's why I decided to email Carl personally and just share my thoughts of it. And then being the great guy that he is, he got back to me and told me I very much should <laughs> share my thoughts okay. and post that stuff in the group and um, put up a link to the podcast. Uh, so that's exactly what I did. And the one, there was a great little discussion that happened over on the um, independent characters community. Um, and it was lovely getting to really talk to and listen to a lot of other people's um, sort of views on narrative content and narrative play. And um, it was all really positive stuff. And from that, I know there's been a whole bunch of people that have come from the independent uh, characters group and they have uh, joined the Facebook group from there. Some of them have discovered the podcast because of it and I've had a bunch of messages from people that are saying that they're really enjoying it and um, are glad to see something that's out there actually championing narrative content the way we're doing and it's just really gratifying. And um, that's why I wanted to create this segment for you guys because you really are starting to reach out and engage with us now. And I just want to encourage that. So big thank you to Carl. Big thank you to all you guys. And I'm looking forward to having a regular segment for the Community Edge highlights in the future. Yeah, and as much as in reaching out and engaging with us uh, as we talk on a podcast, and we, we always want to hear what you're working on, what your working progresses are, where, where you finished uh, your terrain or you finished armies or your miniatures, um, reaching out to each other to, as a place to talk on the Narrative Wargamer uh, Facebook group or, or, or on any of the channels, the, the Instagram or the, or the Twitter. Um, talking to each other finding a place where we can share those things together you know if we're helping build that community and, and you're talking to each other that's just as good for us as as reaching out and talking to us right tony oh yeah exactly it is and um it's lovely to see people you know, bouncing off each other and having conversations and sharing ideas and uh, that's why i've got to do some of that right here now on the show because we want to encourage it so yep. um 
Dave, do you want to start? What has piqued your interest? Yeah, um, just looking through, through the group, there's so much stuff. Just trying to keep up with it while I've uh, been trying to do everything else has been great. But um, I, I think one of the things that's jumped out is, um, I think you've asked me to talk about this one because you, we're not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. So we're going to apologise in advance. <laughs> Joachim Stamel, I think it is, who's, uh, I believe you you live in Germany, uh, but you've been posting some of the stuff that you've been doing. So apologies if I got your name wrong, Joachim. He's been a really active I'm member sure. of the group and um, I'm going to apologise now for the no doubt many times in the future we will mention him and get his name wrong, different every yeah. time. So if, feel free to send us a phonetic pronunciation either in the group or email us directly and we will get it right for you. And for Until yeah, we'll then, we'll we apologise. <laughs> Uh, but you do, particularly a couple of things he's posted. The, the first one is um, is the um, fantastic club terrain that he's, he's posted up, uh, which yeah, has got a, a really that. modular set of uh, terrain that's built out of a lot of standard kits um, that gives a real, just looking at the table, gives a real narrative feel to it. Um, there's defence emplacements and there's a Gravanic drill and there's a, a void shield generator and a warehouse and um, lots of little bits of scattered terrain. Oh. That, that shows that it, it could easily be used for you know 40k or Necromunda or kill team or or anything where you you try to tell this kind of narrative that you you you, you know around this kind of industrialized facility in the 40k universe. I think it's meant to be um, a night hanger, isn't it? Um, ah, right. How okay. it can be built, but it's really clever how they've done it because it's been a really collaborative club effort, apparently. Um, so yeah. there's been a lot of um, thought and planning that's going into it, so that the terrain can be used for both creating this really intricate sort of like narrative foundry night armory warehouse sort of industrial board so you can tell some really cool narrative stories and games or play kill team or necromunda or all sorts but equally all the terrain it's all obviously like on its own uh, freestanding bases and it's all been created in a modular way that they can set up for things like um, ITC maps and stuff for people that want to play the competitive games. So like that yeah. warehouse that looks like this really cool ad mech sort of like arming station for an Imperial Knight. It's in two sections, which are the uh, the large L-shaped ruins that you use in the yeah. standard like ITC format. Um, and then they've got two like, you know, pseudo hills and then ruins and the same sort of like templated um, deployment can be created using this board but that's not all it does and it's a really clever community effort for them to create this really nice gaming table that everyone at the club could use and it looks brilliant yeah yeah absolutely I particularly impressed some of the there's also a stencil on the wall of the Imperial Eagle in several of those photos <laughs> I know it's that Crates of empty beer bottles of Tiske as well, so I've uh, got, got to approve of that as well, I'm afraid. I'm very jealous of whatever <laughs> venue it is that they've got that allows them to actually Absolutely. paint the Imperial Aquila on the wall of <laughs> the yeah, room. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. I, I, so that was that was one of the things that Johan had, had posted up. Um, I think the other one was more recently was a game uh, that he's played uh, between uh, uh, his Primaris forces and his mate's Chaos forces. I think it was that way around. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, that one, because they actually tried out um, using alternate activations um, in their game of 40k, which is something that I've not toyed with myself as a mechanic in any game I've played, but I've certainly thought about it as a concept, and uh, I think I'd like to dedicate a future episode to it, because 
I think it could genuinely be something we see in a future edition. Yeah, well, as, as, as a TO of a large bolt action tournament, it's, it's something I'm very familiar with, uh, being an intrinsic mechanic of um, of that game. Uh, and one of the popular things in that game that um, as, as uh, Seven started getting boring for people, a, a lot of players came over to, to play World War Two games in bolt action and, and rather liked that difference in that mechanic. So I've got a game on Friday with a lad that also plays bolt action, although we are playing 40k on Friday. And I'm going to suggest we try that uh, a variation of this activation method uh, in, in that game and see how it works out. Um, and uh, mm. I'll, I'll report back. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, there was also one second. Um, there was a post by Jordan Galash. It was a game in their latest little narrative campaign. Um, that basically they were sort of like a wave-based mission um, where the Imperial forces were um, fighting Tau, and he said that they actually played with a, like a GM. And basically he controlled by the Tau forces. And the closer they got to the objectives in the game, the more Tau were deployed to the board, uh, which I thought was a really cool idea. Um, but the reason why it, it grabbed me was because in the picture, there's an upside down devil fish on the table. <laughs> it just made me laugh when I saw it. An alternative putting a crater down, right? <laughs> yeah, well, as I said, you know, I posted in the comments and he was uh, saying how it's just a thing that they did where... Um, using flipped models to when they were destroyed if they didn't explode sort of using them as wreckage and terrain and I know that's a it's a novel idea that a lot of people and a lot of groups have tried out over the years myself included I always remember a time that my death guard defiler was on its back like a crab or a dead spider (laughs) Um, but it's just been a while since I've seen it sort of in practice and it it just made me giggle when I saw it so I just wanted to give you a little shout out yeah, no, it does look really good, and I, I remember doing that as well. I must admit, I've got a different practice these days. I don't use vehicles so much, but when I do and when they explode, uh, for example, the Chaos Rhino that I used a, a few months ago at the club for, for my Black Legion. Um, now, like I said, I play World War II games. I've got a number of blast markers, which are actually the little electric tea light candles with foam on the top sprayed black, and they're, they're really quite effective as uh, <laughs> exploding smoke markers, and I tend to use those on vehicles in, in, in any game nowadays, including 40k. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they give a similar thematic effect to, to a, 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 an exploded vehicle that's not, well, a destroyed vehicle that's not exploded. Um, so, yeah, so that is our first ever Community Edge highlights. And uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more posts from you guys and looking forward to growing the community. So you've all got something to aim for as well now. Post some good stuff and it'll get discussed on the show. So I'm sure we'll, we'll see lots of cool stuff from you all. Um, but having spoken about the games that you've all been playing, I guess it's time that we check in with the games that we've been playing. So we'll be back shortly with our games played. And we're back, guys. So, predictably, the only games I've been playing for the past month have been Peekaboo with my newborn son. So, (laughs) I have not had chance to uh, get any games in under my belt. So it's going to be a little bit of a short section, especially considering, Dave, what have you been up to? Is it, as usual, not playing 40k? (laughs) Yeah, well, I, I've not really got any games of 40k in since we last last recorded. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is uh, I've I've been playing Blood Bowl and Age of Sigmar at the club, which are all perfectly good games, but uh, not not really what we talk about here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I travel with work, uh, but one weekend I wasn't travelling with work. I went up to York for the Blood Bowl um, 
UKTC, the UK Team Championship tournament with uh, with uh, seven other lads from our club, um, because it's uh, it's a team championship. So 272 coaches all in one hall for two two days, 68 teams of four, um, and a really good time had by all. Talking about Blood Bowl, playing Blood Bowl, commiserating about Blood Bowl. Taking part in a mental health awareness event, uh, so one of the lads uh, who helped organise the, the tournament um, had uh, an event after the second game uh, at lunchtime on the first day where he tried to break the world record for the most number of hugs uh, that he could get uh, <laughs> and wrap in a minute. <laughs> Uh, and rapid hugging is a very organised logistical thing, uh, so that was fun to take part in. But the mo- most important thing about that is really uh, about mental health awareness, uh, making sure that people know it's all right to to hug and it's all right to reach out and talk to people um, if if you're having a problem of of that nature, because you're not alone, and there's a lot of people out there. And uh, I'm sure we can find a way to include in the links um, a couple of shout outs to uh, the kind of places that people can reach out to if if uh, if you feel in that kind of way. Certainly in the UK one of, one of those is the Samaritans so I think it's important that we, we mention this stuff we'll not make a big deal about it but um, it's worth mentioning oh definitely um, and then back to the Blood Bowl I you know I, I won two drew two lost two so I, I had quite a good game a good weekend I uh, finished 158th of 272 in the individual coaches so just just in the bottom half <laughs> submarining my way up as usual uh, and our team finished 60 of 68. So that we consider that a win because we weren't last. <laughs> that sounds like you had fun. And um, I I promise, guys, we will at some point get some actual 40K, 40K games yeah, we I, to talk about. I have got Do a game booked on Fridays, I just mentioned with Garth. So hopefully next time we record, I'll have at least one game uh, organised and played in, under the belt. Uh, do you know who is getting lots of games and being very busy in his uh, hobby time? That is Jake. <laughs> so yes. when we when we can next line schedules up and get him on the show, he will have plenty of games to tell us about. And um, he'll have so yeah, many. He'll be able to remember them all, probably. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's like say I'm hoping that. Um, in maybe a month or two, I might be back in the swing of it myself uh, once the little one's a little bit bigger and sort of things have returned to normal. I've been putting a lot of effort recently into trying to get my gaming table and my gaming space together at home. So I'm definitely putting the effort in to be able to try and get some games under my belt in the near future. So yeah, short and sweet this month, uh, which means that we can now move on to our spotlight topic, which is going to be our mission focus. Um, from Vigils of Blaze. So, we'll be back in a second, guys. Do you enjoy awesome narrative 40k games as much as we do? Do you wish there was more narrative play content online you could enjoy? Narrative Wargamer aims to be more than just a podcast. Our goal is to become a wider platform for narrative 40k content creation. Right now, we are just starting out, but you can already find 40k articles and gaming posts on our website at narrativewargamer.wordpress.com. We also aim to develop the Narrative Wargamer YouTube channel with narrative battle reports, custom missions, expanded gameplay rules and much more. If you would like to see awesome content like this, then please support the show via the Narrative Wargamer Patreon page. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and expand our range of future content. You can support the show from as little as $2 a month and it really is the best way to show us you are enjoying our work and are excited to see more. 
With your support, Narrative Wargamer can become the number one provider of narrative player content from the Grimdark. And now that we have finished with everything that the community has been up to, and ourselves included, we've now managed to lure you here to our latest mission focus, The Serpent's Lure, which is... That's, that's lure, right, for those that may be having trouble with mine and yours accent. It's uh, oh, one of those yeah, words that's difficult be, yeah. for both of us to be... <laughs> the Serpent's Lure. <laughs> the Serpent's Lure... <laughs> um, so this is one of the Echo of War missions from Vigilosa Blaze, um, and I think it is a brilliant piece of like 40k game design. It's so unique and clever, um, and it can get a little bit overlooked because it's one of these Echo of War missions. So these are the ones that are actually meant to represent as a, like a historic battle or event from within the Vigilus campaign. Um, in this particular instance, it's meant to be... I think it's meant to be at the Siege of Mortwald when the Iron Warriors are sieging the Imperial lines because, lo and behold, there are Imperial fists there and they want to show them who's the best. Um, and the at this point in the conflict on Vigilus, um, Marnie's Kalga has established um, like a truce with the Eldar of uh, Craftworld Saiham. Um, so they are actually aiding in the war effort, and what they do is they actually basically bait out um, uh, Warboss Cruldacker and his Speedwater, and they get them to chase them basically across the wastes. And the idea is they're trying to get them to um, crash into the rear of the Iron Warrior lines that are besieging Mortwald. So they're trying to just get the orcs to chase them. Um, while like not escaping too much so the orcs give up but while obviously not being caught enough that the orcs just kill them before they reach the uh, the Iron Warrior lines a giant game of catch the pigeon right <laughs> basically yeah um, so that's what it's kind of like based on in the original Echo of War sort of narrative but as with a lot of these Echo of War missions there's not much, if anything, that actually forces you to have to play the scenario just with Orcs and Eldar. So you can use this with any armies and sort of repurpose the mission for whatever narrative you wanted to tell. Um, and <laughs> the strangest thing about this mission is that it doesn't use a 6 by 4 foot play space. No, it's very different to normal ones, but... Um... I think we should, we should try and describe that. Do you want to have a go at that? Or do you want me to try and describe this? <laughs> no, um, so I'll describe it. So basically, this is a scenario that's been designed with the like, Realm of Battle boards in mind. So the Games Workshop yeah. like, board product that's made up of six tiles. Um, so although that would be the ideal product to do this with, in theory you could do it with any kind of modular gaming board, or... As I'm going to mention later on, I was thinking this would be a really good way of making use of some of like the news of Mortalis tiles, like the um, the floor spaces, because you just have to create one foot by one foot spaces with those for each section of the board. Um, Hi guys, Tony here from when I've been doing the editing. Listening to this back, I realised that there's been a few times that I talk about the scenarios if it uses one by one foot tiles. And that's completely wrong. I didn't mean one by one foot. 
I meant two foot by two foot tiles. I basically meant like single Realm of Battle board tiles that you get from Games Workshop um, or Armies on Parade or similar. So yeah, uh, just when you listen to this next segment, just bear in mind any time that I talk about or mention one foot by one foot tiles, which would be a very small play space, I actually meant two foot by two foot tiles. So yeah, just bear that in mind. Uh, otherwise, this scenario we're about to talk about would have sounded very, very confined for a 40k game. The way it plays out is that you start with two tiles in play. One which kind of acts as like the attacker's deployment zone and one that acts as like the defenders. And then throughout the game, you'll be adding additional tiles to like the front edge of the battlefield, um, which represents the chase. So, you know, the uh, the defender is the one that's trying to escape and they'll be um, like running further down the board in order to reveal the next tile, while the attacker is the, um, the chasing force, which is then trying to catch the escaping enemies. Um, but it doesn't just have to necessarily be a straight line. Like, basically, all three of the edges of the front tile that are currently unoccupied and don't have an adjacent tile, any one of those three could be the next um, tile edge. So you can end up playing like a game of Snake <laughs> with these uh, uh, one-foot-by-one-foot one foot square tiles. Yeah, Snake's a good way to describe it. I'd not thought about it as Snake, but that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's basically uh, how it is. So I'm just going to go through um, some of the actual sort of details in the mission. So this is in Vigilus Ablaze, um, and it's on page 140. So, uh, you choose your armies. Each player must first muster an army from their collection. The defender commands the Saiham Wild Riders. The attacker commands the Orc Hordes and Speedwa. As I say, you could realistically replace any army of any other. There's nothing that particularly ties you to using those two. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking of a, a chase scenario using Space Marine Centurions. I think that could be quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My distraction. You carry on. <laughs> uh, the defender creates the battlefield out of two 24-inch by 24-inch square tiles. So it's like one foot by one foot square tiles. Um as the battle continues, the battlefield will change as more one-foot square tiles, referred to simply as tiles, are added and removed, which is important because removing them is also another thing that happens. And the battlefield should be sparsely covered with ruins, craters, and debris. Like it needs to be something that the armies are capable of, sort of like racing across or running through. You know, so it doesn't want to be too dense. Um, after terrain has been set up, each player divides their army into three forces each of a combined power rating as close as possible to a third of their army's power level. As always, I caveat this with, you can just use points instead. There's no reason you have to abide by power level if you don't want. Just basically split your army equally into thirds as much as possible. So you've got three forces. So that's for both the attacker and defender. The defender sets up units from one of those forces wholly within their deployment zone um, and sets up the other two forces in reserve. Now this is using... Um, sort of like narrative play reserve rules. So there's a sort of dice roll mechanic involved rather than units just arriving automatically turn two onwards. But again, that's a little unique in this scenario and I'll get into that uh, shortly. Now, 
Um, the attacker does the same, setting up one of their forces uh, of their army wholly within their deployment zone, and the other two in reserve. The reserves will arrive later in the mission. Now, this is always the brilliant part of you know our radio podcast, trying to explain the visuals of the map. <laughs> So you're going to have these two one foot by one foot tiles. And if you imagine on the rearmost, like bottom edge of that, um, so the bottom half of the bottom tile, that's the attacker's deployment. So they're effectively going to be 12 inches in and the full like 24 inch across. Then the rest of their tile is the no man's land. So you'll have this 12 inch no man's land in front of them. And then the bottom half of the next tile is the defender's deployment zone. So they have a 12-inch deep deployment zone into that second tile. So there's only 12 inches between the front edge of the attacker's deployment zone and the rear edge of the defender's. But at the same time, there's only one-third of each player's army in each of those deployment zones. So when you actually start this game, you're going to have 500 points each of a 1,500-point game, for example, and you're only going to have two tiles on, on the board. So that's a small confined space for that conflict to happen in. Like that's only one third of the standard size of your normal gaming board. But it's going to grow. Yeah, that's, that's... And there's going to be more space as we go along. Um, so first turn, the attacker gets the first turn in a scenario. Wild chase. At the start of the battle, the tile that contains the defender's deployment zone is known as the end tile. Um, at the start of each of the defender's turns, if they have one or more units wholly within the end tile, the battlefield extends. When the battlefield extends, follow these steps. So you just have to have the defender, which is the, like the Eldar in the original narrative. Um, they just have to reach the frontmost edge of the leading tile. They just have to be in the, the furthest forward tile in order to generate the next one. So, but there's a, this is where the cunning bit comes in. So when the battlefield extends, follow these steps. 1. The attacker secretly chooses a number from 1 to 6 and notes it down, or hides a dice behind their hand with the number they chose on the dice's utmost face. 2. The defender places a new tile adjacent to the end tile, so that the edge of one tile lines up entirely with that of the other. This new tile becomes the end tile. So, so to the left or the right, or straight in front of the latest yeah. tile. So there's um there is considered a direction of travel, which is um, if you were to draw an imaginary line from like the rearmost tile to the um, forwardmost tile, like that. So initially, that would obviously just be straightforward between them. So then. If you're taking that direction of travel, you can place the new tile to either the left, the right, or continuing in front of it. Um, so then, if the battlefield is then composed of four tiles, the oldest of those tiles is removed. So the first tile to be removed in this way will be the tile that contains the attacker's deployment zone. Any units, even partially on that tile, are destroyed. Keep a tally of the tiles removed. This is called the chase tally. So this is one of the key things. Good. Yeah. So it prevents prevents them overlapping. If you start keep going around to the left in circles, you're not going to uh, overlap, right? Yeah, because by the time you place the fourth tile, which would be 
the um, second new tile if you're from the very beginning, you would remove the original one, which means that they wouldn't be adjacent anymore. You'd have an L shape rather than a, um, a two by two square. So yeah. you, it's important that you're never actually going to be playing with more than 50% normal board space for this game. Like, you're going to be running across tiles. You're going to go through, like, you know, five, six, seven, eight tiles throughout the game, but you're never actually going to have more than three of them at any one time. Yeah. So it's a very, like, confined sort of, like, corridor-style um, battle because you are going to be travelling across these tiles. Uh, and you do not want to get left behind, otherwise you get destroyed. Um, so, yeah, determine, uh, step three, determine the direction of travel by drawing a line through the centre of the two previous tiles. The attacker then reveals the number they chose. So, basically, those like three options of left, right, or straight ahead, they're numbered or labelled as like, you know, one, two is left, three, four is straight ahead, Five, six is to the right. Um, so the attacker reveals the number they chose. If the number they chose corresponds to the placement of the new end tile relative to direction of travel, they perform step four, otherwise the defender performs step four. So basically, the attacker is trying to guess what direction they think the defender is going to try and swerve off in next. Yep. Yeah, so, so they're trying to like guess whether they're going to be swimming to the left or the right or straight on, whatever. And basically... There's no way really to know, because it's just a dice roll, right? It's just a best guess. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's not just a dice roll. like Because the defender is choosing. There's no randomizing about this. So when, okay. when the leading army, say in the original DLR, when they get to the forwardmost tile, they pick which side of that tile they're going to place the new tile. Ah, of course. But right. the chasing army, that. the attacker, they have to uh, try and pre-guess which direction they think the elder are going to go in. Now, it seems a little arbitrary when you're just viewing it as tiles on a map, but obviously unit placement is going to be relevant because if they've got units that are like hugging the left-hand side of that tile, are they more likely to want to place a new tile on the left so that they can just move directly into the new tile without having to cross uh, travel across an entire additional one foot of the current tile they're in. Like, unit placement mid-game is going to try and allow both players to bluff or um, force their opponent's hands. Like, if as the attacker, you've got a, you know, a battle wagon full of mega knobs on the right-hand side of the leading tile, busy chasing some Eldar unit, then... There's no reason why, no, sorry. then that's an incentive for the Eldar player to avoid placing a tile on the right-hand side because then they're going to have to cross the path of these mega knobs. They want to be trying to get further away, so they're more likely to want to place a tile on the left. But then doing that, the Orc player is going to be able to see that and probably and it's got a better chance of guessing they're going to want to place the tile on the left. So there is... There's going to be a lot of politics and like double bluffing and stuff involved in actually even just placing the battlefield tiles. It's going to be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and he, he, I can totally see how that that would uh, 
would drive you to, to if you get your placement wrong, you can get punished by the terrain as much as getting punished by your opponent. Yeah, yeah the, the, the terrain's case. another factor. What if there's a big whopping building on the left-hand side of the title and you're going to have to drive around that because your bike unit's not going to be able to go straight through it? Well, now, do you want to try and place a tail on the right-hand side? Is the orc player going to preempt that and assume that that's where you're going to go? Are you going to try and go left anyway to try and double bluff it and take the longer route? But the point is the orc player's not been able to guess that you're going to do that. And the reason why this is so important is because of step four. So if the attacking player um, guessed correctly, they're the ones that perform step four. If not, then the defender is under perform step four. So that player first sets up terrain on the new end tile, following the guidance in the battlefield. And then, if they have any remaining forces in reserve, they choose one and set up all the units from that force wholly within a new end tile and more than nine inches from any enemy models. They do not need to make reserve rolls. This is the only way that reserves can arrive on the battlefield. So let's just recap this. A new tile is placed when the defender reaches the end of the um, the current battlefield, when they get into the forwardmost tile. They then choose which of the three sides they want to place the new tile on. But before they do that, the chasing player, or the attacker, um, makes a secret note of which one they think they're going to place it on. Mm-hmm. Then, if the attacker guessed correctly, they place the new tile if the attacker didn't guess correctly, the defender places the new title. Whoever placed that title gets to set up the terrain on that new title, which means, first of all, if you're the attacker, you can place some nice big buildings in the way of the defender that's trying to get away from you, or other forests or woods or whatever terrain features. You can make you know their life difficult because they've now got the environment they need to contend with or get around. And two, the player who placed the title, that's how they get the first of their reserve forces. So their forces are already going to be occupying that tile when they reach it. So if you're the defender, that's a welcome relief because you're catching up with your other reserve forces. You're running up to join alongside them. But if the attacker managed to guess correctly where you were going, you've just been ambushed because you're about to move on to a new tile that's got orc reinforcements on it. So that means the deployment happens during the movement phase, right? Yes. So, um, because this is... Uh, at the start of battle round, so at the start of each of the defender's turns, they do this. Yeah. So, yes. So it's the defender's turn. So if, so if the orcs manage to guess correctly where the Eldar were going to go, and then the Eldar... Uh, the orc player gets to place the new tile with the terrain and deploys new orc forces on that tile. That is still then at the start of the Eldar turn. So they can then go like, oh no, like the the orcs are there. We need to avoid that. Like they can suddenly realize that these orcs have actually managed to outpace them and they've got ahead of them. And now they've got some real trouble because they need to, they need to travel into that tile in order to generate the next tile. And then try again, and hopefully this time the orcs won't preempt them, and they will get to bring some Eldar reinforcements on. So that like double bluffing game earlier, when it comes to actually deciding what direction you're going to travel in, is key. Yeah. It's very important because it determines both what terrain there's going to be, so what's going to be in which players' ways, 
and it also determines which player gets to place their reinforcements. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the that reinforcement aspect of it is going to be uh, a particularly interesting way this works out. I think this is uh, definitely something I should try and pick up and play since I, I recently picked up a Custodes jetpack-based army. This could be uh, very applicable to this kind of uh, game. Yeah, um, and while obviously there's an encouragement to build armies that sort of have roughly equivalent speeds, there's no reason why you couldn't both use foot slogging forces and do this because as long as you're both roughly on par for speed overall, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, really fast vehicles or jet bikes or flyers. You know, it, it can just be um, whatever you want it to be. In fact, to be honest, flyers would be kind of dangerous in this scenario because their minimum movement is going to be really difficult to stay on the yeah. board. Yeah. Uh, especially... And you can't... Especially if you're you facing... You can't do the usual diamond patterning. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you've got a flyer that's uh, lined up ready for the next tile to appear on the right-hand side, and then actually it appears on the left, and they can't do a 180 turn, they're probably going to be flying off the board, at which point you'll want to be using some leaving combat airspace rules and uh, yeah. not just having them die instantly. That would be my advice. Uh, <laughs> but even then, yeah. they're going back into reserve, they have to roll to reappear, they'll be coming on a a different tile point elsewhere in the game. It could be refueled or rearmed. And that can actually be quite interesting because you effectively would have these flyers kind of like strafing their way on and off of the battle as it's happening underneath them, sort of circling about in this <laughs> wasteland or whatever. Maybe that should be quite an interesting idea. Um, yeah. Uh, so there's no actual reserve rolls. There's no automatic arrival of reserves. It's just if you get to place the new tile, you get to place the first of your two extra forces. And then the second time you get to place the tile, you get to place your third additional force. So, that is how you form the battlefield. That is how the armies chase each other about. And that is how you try to outsmart your opponent in order to place reserves. But how do you actually go about winning this game, I hear you ask? Well... How do you go about winning this game, Tony? (laughs) So the game uses random battle length which is important. Um, or in addition, if one army is destroyed, the battle immediately ends. Now, bear in mind, you're only staying with a third of your force. If the attacker manages to leap on the defender early, they only have to kill like 500 points in a 1,500-point game. They're going to win. So tabling is a thing um, and makes sense in the narrative because you've not been able to lure the attacker anywhere if you just get killed by them. So the actual victory conditions for this mission... At the end of the battle, which is using random battle length, which is important, if the defender's army has been destroyed, not including any units still in reserve, the attacker wins a major victory. So if the attacker can just kill everything that is currently on the board, they win. Which, unless, which if they can keep outsmarting the defender, they're going to get their reserves in before the defender gets theirs. So if you can wipe them out yeah. before the entire force arrives, win-win. <laughs> If the defender's army has not been destroyed and the attacker's army has been destroyed, uh, not including units in reserve, the result is a draw. So actually, if the defender tables their opponent, they get a draw. Because they're not trying to kill the orcs. They're trying to lure the orcs to where they need them to be to fight the chaos forces. So killing them is not going to do them any good. No, no, absolutely. So... That's really interesting that actually 
This is a mission where, for a certain player, tabling your opponent is a bad result. You've got a different objective to be achieving. Which is, if neither army has been destroyed, check the chase tally, which is that thing from earlier. Uh, which is the number of tiles that have been removed from the game. So once you get to the fourth tile on the board, you remove the oldest one. So you only have three tiles maximum at any one time. So if the tally is five or more, the defender wins a major victory. So if they've been able to... um, You get three tiles on the board. Yeah, load them far enough. That means you need to have revealed six tiles since the start of the game. So you know, that's at least six game turns that you need to be luring the enemy along and surviving. Um, if the chase tally is four, the defender wins a minor victory. If the chase tally is three or less, the attacker wins a minor victory. So basically, the attacker is trying to either wipe out the opponent or trying to stall them enough that they don't advance the battlefield enough tiles. Um, and the defender is trying to get as far across the battlefield as they can, generate as many new tiles, zigzag around as much as possible, and basically gather up the opposing forces um, and just take, you know, injure them, stop them from wiping them out, but you need to actually just basically stall out the game is <laughs> the actual like win condition yeah. for the defender, which is a really unique win con. I don't think I've seen any other kind of scenario similar to this. No, no, and I, I love it because it's so it's such a different thing. It's not it appeals to the narrative storytelling side of me. The, the the way of winning is not necessarily just destroying your opponent, but um, things like this, where you you know the the context of it is you you dragging them with the, you win by dragging them away so that some other opponent can destroy them for you. Um, yeah. So as with most of these Crucible of War missions, and in particular the Echo War missions, there are a couple of unique stratagems to both the attacker and defender as well that you could use in this scenario. So, um, and again, I don't think any of them are particularly too tied to the actual races from the narrative. So again, I think you can apply this to any two armies that you want. Um, maybe just check to make sure none of these stratagems are going to particularly skew anything with any particular force that you've taken, but I don't think they should be. Because basically you've got, so for the attacker, so this is for the chasing um, army, mm-hmm. uh, Ready and waiting to CP. Use this stratagem when you set up a unit from reserve. You can immediately shoot with that unit as if it were your shooting phase. So uh, this is when because the, this is happening in the defenders, the, the start of the defenders turn. Defenders yes. Movement phase. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is when the attacker manages to guess correctly the direction of travel that the defenders chosen to go in. Yeah. So you can then set up your forces and have two CP. You can even take some shots at them as they arrive because you've caught them in ambush. Yeah. Um. 1CP, think you're fast. Use this stratagem in your movement phase when you pick a unit to move. Roll 2d6 and add the highest result to that unit's movement characteristic until the end of the phase. So when you need an extra burst of speed because you're trying to catch those escaping um, enemy units that are going to be pushing into the next board unless you can charge them this turn. Um, And then 1CP, get stuck in. Use the stratagem when you pick a unit to fight within the fight phase. Until the end of the phase, you can reroll hit rolls of a one for attacks made by that unit. Okay, so one CP reroll strat, cool. Um, and then the defenders ones. 
So, like, like I was saying earlier, this one is called Pride of Simham. Pride of Simhan. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Not Simon. No. <laughs> Simon's pride. No. Yep. <laughs> uh, once you be, use a stratagem in your movement phase when you pick a unit to move, if that unit can fly. Until the end of the phase, that unit can advance even if it falls back. So again, even though it's like named as an Eldar stratagem, as it were, um, it's just a defender stratagem for a unit with fly. And uh, yeah, basically, yeah. you can keep that burst of speed going even if you get caught and cornered in combat. Yeah, no, that's nice because it allows you to you know, disengage and... Uh, and run away. That's good. Yeah. Um, 2CP, go to the Brutes. Use this stratagem at the start of the enemy charge phase. Pick a unit from your army. Enemy units that can declare that unit as a target of a charge in this phase must do so. They can declare other units as targets as well. So that's really cool. Like that's something that I'm surprised we've not seen in the codex anywhere. Like that feels like some of the say like White Scars or Raven Guard could have had. Um like two CP in your opponent's charge phase, uh pick a unit, force them to have to charge you if possible. Like, that's really cool. <laughs> um especially if it's like, you know, a relatively shooty enemy unit and they don't really want to get into combat but you pick your combat specialists and they have to full-heartedly charge in. You know. Or you choose a sacrificial unit and force them away. Yeah, or just go, yeah. here's my unit of uh, 50 conscripts. You have to charge them. Yeah. <laughs> have fun chewing my rattlings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and the last uh, defender stratagem is Weaving Serpents. Free CP. Use this stratagem at the start of the enemy shooting phase. Pick a unit from your army. Until the end of the phase, your opponent must subtract one from hit rolls for attacks to target that unit. So basically, it's lightning fast reflexes, free CP. Yeah. But obviously, the key difference is that this is a different stratagem. You could use it in addition to that if you're playing as Eldar, or if you're playing as different races, then this just allows for basically anything you've got to get that minus one to it. If you're playing with Dark Angels and using Ravenwing, I'm pretty sure they're going to have to, you know, weave about in order to avoid being hit. Yep. Um, and yeah, basically, that that's the the outline of the Serpent Slur from Vigilosa Blaze, and it is such a unique and cool mission. And we're going to, uh, in a minute, mention some of the different ways and ideas that we've got for using this scenario. But like, it's so cool. <laughs> it's this, like playing a game of snake with the board as you're racing across it and you're trying to bluff and double guess who's going to go where next in order to spring ambushes on each other. Meanwhile, you've got one person who's trying to frantically chase and grab everything that they can possibly kill and you've got another one, the other player, who's just trying to run out the clock. Like, which... yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've, we've, we've talked about enjoying these kind of racing type games before, right? Uh, we talked about speed freaks, and we've talked about um, this, this, these kind of alternate things where the, the the goal is not necessarily to to win or destroy or overwhelm, as it usually is in, in you know combat oriented uh, games. We can use those same miniatures to sell different stories around. Uh, you know, and maybe maybe the goal this time is 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 the chase, not the catch, right? Exactly, and maybe you need to play around with the values for victory with the chase tally a little bit if you want to use some slow-moving armies. So yeah. it'd be really cool to sort of see 
<laughs> could you imagine like a foot slogging like guard army or even space marines say yeah. who are being chased by an orc horde they're just physically trying to outpace like you know 90 boys in the first title and then they might run yeah. into a second title and find another 90 boys in the next title yeah <laughs> and, yeah. and just... then you've got the jump right yeah <laughs> you know now granted I don't think the foot slogging marines are going to be able to make it all the way to a chase tally of five, you know, and have generated like eight battlefield tiles. But maybe if they only need to try and reach a chase tally of three in that scenario, you know, they still have to cross about, I mean, that's what, uh, one, two, they still have to cross five tiles, you know, <laughs> in order to achieve yeah. that. And that would be considered like a major victory, you know. Um, there's some cool definitely some cool opportunities with this mission um, but even just playing it as is even playing it with just Eldar and Orcs definitely yeah. get a try but I think you could honestly play this with any two forces because I don't think there's any one thing that's too tied to one force or the other um, it'd be really cool to see like Tau trying to chase someone down like if Tau were playing as the attacker and then you'd need to have your crisis suits and your riptides sort of like you know trying to jump and keep pace with I don't know Maybe an orc speedwire that's decided it's got in over its head. <laughs> and they're trying to just race back to the mech shop with the uh, fancy uh, Tau guns that they've stolen. Who knows? Or indeed, uh, Tau on the other side is the defender being routed um, uh, and having to flee. Um, yeah. It you know, works a lot of ways for a lot of different armies, absolutely. Um, and and that's just thinking about like the armies and how you play with them, but... I think this mission in particular really opens itself up to some really cool narrative story arcs to the mission as well. Um, yeah, so. more than that, not just just the story arcs of the mission. The, the, if we look at what we, we were talking about in Chapter of Food last time, having this as a link mission uh, between between um, different games uh, to see, you know, do you get away, do you get some more forces, uh, putting it in that kind of story arc is also... Uh, yeah, you could literally kind of, have this be a linking game in both a narrative yeah. and literal sense, where you yeah. could, in theory, have the game before be taking place in one location. The connecting game is the Serpent Slur, where you physically try to travel from the first game to the next one. Like, maybe the first tile on this board actually matches a section of the battlefield from the previous game. You yeah. keep, like, one corner of that board and have the same terrain layout on it and then the last tile whichever last tile you end up getting to you keep that tile to be one corner of the third game right. and set up the terrain right. identically in that one and you could have this like very physical representation of the journey that linked these two games like game one and game three that's a, that's a cool idea yeah, yeah um, but on top of that there's a few um, very cool ideas. So the original story mission behind this is uh, is Saiham Eldar attempting to lure an orc speedwar to engage chaos forces that are besieging an imperial defense line. So you could start with quite a wastelandy board and maybe the last couple of tiles you actually introduce. Like if you get to tile um, seven or eight, so you've like generated five chase tally ones, maybe the last tile actually has a defense line in it with like, uh, so it looks like an imperial defense line. Um, yeah. And you've reached um, the walls of Mortwald. Um, but one of the ideas that I think this scenario is really good for is an idea I've had for years and years. And 
I would love to have seen come to fruition somehow, and I think this is one of the ways to do it. And that is a race through the webway. Okay. So I had this idea where imagine that every new tile is like a different biome. So you could have like a desert tile and then a, a winter, like an ice world tile and then a jungle tile and then a cityscape. And the reason why each individual tile is a completely different environment is because each tile edge there's a webway gate and the idea is that the forces have been racing across worlds they've been you know dashing into a webway gate and coming out on a different planet and then they're dashing to the next webway gate somewhere else on that planet surface in order to get back into the webway and emerge somewhere else on another planet you know trying to evade uh, these pursuing forces and would would you have that with with some terrain specific rules? So, uh, creeping lava on one tile, or you could do pressing jungles on another one, or you could make it a really in depth um, environmental tile for each one, or you could just have it just so it looks cool, just a very unusual yeah. looking game board, and just get like a pair of um, like Eldar pillars or what something to represent a webway gate, and you just sort of stand it on every tile edge. So that's like, you know, that is a webway gate that you've run through. Um, and there's even some like forces that this would work particularly well for narratively. Like you could practically play Blood of the Phoenix. You could run that story arc using this because you could have um, like Dark Eldar chasing Eldar and you could have mm-hmm. Drazhar in the Eldar force and Jane Zar in the Eldar one. And they're actually yeah. both trying to race to find Yvrain, whichever world she's on. And um, Jane Zar's just trying to find the Inari so she can uh, come to their aid, while Drazar's just trying to kill Jane Zar. So he's just chasing yeah. her through the webway across all these worlds because he just wants to show that he's the best by you know killing her <laughs> in single combat. So it doesn't like you wouldn't have um, guard chasing orcs through the webway. <laughs> it just wouldn't really make no. sense, but you could easily do Eldar and Dark Eldar chasing each other, or yeah. you could recreate. Um, there's one of the missions in the Blood of the Phoenix book where the Yunari are trying to escape the battlefield via a webway pole at one end. Well, rather than having a six by four foot table where you do that, you could recreate that story doing this, and every tile has a webway gate. And instead, you've got Sinesh demons chasing the Inari. So, you know, demons break into the webway all the time. They would be pursuing these Eldar that are now trying to... They're trying to escape the webway because demons have broken their way in. But they're also trying to planet hop in order to, like, lose their trail. That could make for a really cool game. Yeah. No, no, it also reminds me... I'm I'm, I'm reading the, the War of the Beast series at the moment. Uh, there's one point on one of the planets where uh, um, they the orcs lure away the the last wall imperial fist uh, coalition forces and uh, they chase them and then then the orcs turn and, and attack them in a, in a very similar sort of chase and ambush type scenario. Yeah. Um, another uh, version of doing different environments per tile that I think would work really well could be uh, what you would call the great game. So you could have it set within the Eye of Terror or a demon world or just generally in the realm of chaos. And each tile could be 
representative of a different god's realm. So you could have the Garden of Nurgle on one tile, or the Brass Citadel of Corn on the next, or the Impossible Fortress of Zinch on the third tile. And you could sort of change which realm the battling is happening in because it's just fighting across this demon world and the demon landscape sort of changes and warps depending on which deity has dominance in that area. Yeah. And um, again, thinking of the actual forces you'd use, this could be like, you know, Grey Knights versus Demons. Well, <laughs> how thematic would that be? Like a force of Grey Knights that have, you know, found themselves stuck on a, on a, demon. a demon world or temporarily, you know, um, embattled in the war. But you see all this artwork all the time of Grey Knights physically, like, battling in the realm of chaos. And they're just yeah. trying to escape. Oh, that would be pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, they're just trying to escape and they've got all these demon forces that are chasing them and they're literally having to battle their way through all the realms of the gods as they do it. How cool would that be? Or you could equally have um, Chaos Space Marines versus Chaos Space Marines. That happens all the time. You know, heretic forces battle for supremacy and the favour of the gods and they'll do it in the Eye of Terror. So they could easily be, you know, one army's got some... Um, uh, chaos artifact and the others trying to take it off them and they're trying to escape but they're being pursued by their demonic allies and enemies alike that'd be really cool no I think there's lots of lots of real good ways that you could use this uh, uh, mission in uh, to represent lots of different things and I think it's just having some of these missions available uh, working through considering how they could be used just as they are, but then also, you know, how would you apply them in different scenarios? Mm-hmm. What happens if you have different terrain, different forces? How can the story be different with the forces that I've got? Uh, yeah, it's brilliant, yeah. There was, um, I, I had an idea that I thought would work quite nicely and represent something that you don't often see, but it's obviously a lot of the time when you read the lore about, like, big siege warfare stuff, it's never really just one line of defence. There'll be multiple you know, layers upon layers and defence lines and trench networks and um, bunkers and all sorts, you know. Um, you could have a battle that was like, you know, set on Cadia pre-fall or whatever. Um, and e- each new tile could have a new, like, defence line across it. So each individual tile could look like a defensible line. And obviously as you're battling your way across four, five, six of these um, defence lines, it just represents the multi-layered defences of, you know, Acadia or Terror or wherever, Armageddon, you know, anything. And who's going to be in control of those defences at any given time is dependent on um, who wins that battle of wits on what direction to travel in next. You might find the Imperial defenders have reached a, a well-defended part of the trenches that they're currently in control of and now the orcs are going to crash into it or in your haste to get back to the next defensive position you might find that the orcs have already overwhelmed the next line of defences and suddenly now you're embattled on multiple sides like that's another cool way of doing it and then the last idea I had was actually inspired by the recent release of the um, Zomotalis terrain because I was thinking how cool would this be to play as a Zomotalis mission? So, like, building interior or, um, like, boarding action on a spaceship. You know, um, you could almost reverse the roles narratively. So you could have, um, like, you've had a, a space marine strike force of 
you know, uh, just boarded a heretic vessel and they're trying to get in and cause as much damage as they can, try to reach the reactors before they get overwhelmed. So those could be the defenders in that they're trying to get as far into the bowels of the ship as possible while the attackers are trying to root them out and um, you know, crush the boarding party and uh, making it enough tiles into the interior of the ship represents them finding the reactor and being able to destroy it or damage it. Like, And that would be a really cool way of representing the unknown layout of an enemy vessel that you've boarded. You don't know yeah. where you need to go to get through all the corridors you know, to get to your yeah. objective, and, but you're going to have to work it out as you keep advancing deeper and deeper into it. And uh, this is a way of playing a 40k game on your Zomotalis tiles without needing a full 6x4 table because you only actually need yeah. um, three tiles worth of board. So only 50% of that to actually play this. Yeah, that'd be a really nice use. It'd give you a very uh, uh, space hooky feel without... Uh, it would. Zomotalis board, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> and then, Although Terminators rushing through a, a, a starship <laughs> doesn't quite bring up the, quite, the same impression. <laughs> Well, you say that, but the um, uh, the last idea I had for like adding to this scenario is turning it into a multiplayer game or a GM'd game with like yeah, NPC forces, where you could effectively have like a third player, and that could be, um, is it? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So I had this idea where when a new um, board tile is added. In addition to whose ever forces of reserves are on that tile, you could also have some of the third-party forces deployed on it. So, for example, you might have like um, Imperial forces, like Space Marines, Guard, whatever, as one player, and they could be playing their game against a Gene Sealer Cult player. Um, so that's the attacker and defender. But at the same time, they're battling in the middle of an orc war. So they, like, the third player is the orcs. So this is a bit like how Invigilus, the Gene Stealer cults, had to uh, sort of rise up early and start their insurrection because of this orc war that was besieging the planet. So you could be playing the game between the Imperial forces and the Gene Stealer cultists, but they're having to contend with the fact that there's a lot of orcs around as well, which is causing mayhem. Yeah, or even as an escape type thing. So a very similar thing, but flipped in a different way. If uh, you're playing uh, Inquisition against uh, Imperial Guard, maybe maybe Venegade Imperial Guard, but Gene Sealer Cult is the third force. Uh, so there's there's a, a cultist insurrection that's going on. Uh, the either the traitor or, or loyalist guard are fighting those at the same time as trying to stop this uh, Inquisitor escaping with something. You know, there's, um, there's lots of ways you can pitch that in uh, to meet the armies that you've got, right? Yeah, you could easily just turn that into like a free player game where, say, you've got player um, one and two that the attacker and defender, and then player three also has their own free reserve forces, and they're going to be joining on the first three tiles. Um, but they're going to be in immediate conflict with both players, and um, you don't know which reserve force you're going to have first. You don't know if you, which players' forces you're going to be in conflict with to begin with. Um, I think there's some room to sort of play with that idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or you could just use things like the NPC mobs in um, Chapter Approved 2017, I think it is. So you could have your um, 
Terminators barging through this Bay Hulk, and uh, there could yeah. be infestations of gene stealers showing up whilst they're trying to root out the orcs that have actually piloted this <laughs> space Hulk into yeah. system yeah, yeah. or whatever. Like, there's there's a lot of cool things you can do with this. Yeah, no, no, there's loads of options. I think uh, there's you know looking at the forces you've got, looking at these scenarios that we've got available in all these books, as, as, as we always advocate on this podcast, right? And thinking about how you can use them, do something a bit different. It doesn't, you know, they can be a lot of fun to be adding straightforward ITC missions, but um, it's not the only way to play 40K. You can bring a lot of narrative and story into the games if you, if you use a touch of creativity and imagination. Yeah, because like, if you need some, if you need more snake in your 40K, this is what you play. And... Yeah. I'm, Shout I'm, out to all those uh, former Nokia phone owners out there. Right? <laughs> Maybe you're not as old as me, Tony. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a reason why this is uh, this scenario is called the Serpent's Lure. There must have been some yeah. developer that rolls right over a GW when they were putting this together. So it's just like, I'm definitely giving you some kind of snake reference in this mission. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's a brilliant one, and I'd love to hear um, if anyone gives it a try, or if um, anyone has uh, other cool ideas for it. Post it in the Facebook group. We want to hear about it. We want to see all the cool things that people do, and I'd love to see uh, maybe even the original version of the scenario with Eldar and Ox. That'd be cool. But this is another one that's on my to-do list when I actually get around to being able to play some games regularly and I would love to showcase this one as a like a YouTube bar report at some point in the future I think there's so much potential for it um, just really out of the box out of the 6 by 4 foot box thinking <laughs> um, yeah, really cool. so yeah that's that is our mission focus from Vigilus Ablaze for tonight so just before we round out the show we will briefly jump over into our community spotlight uh so as usual we'll just jump straight in with this one dave what have you got for us tonight what would you like to talk about in the community spotlight um this this feels a little a little bit wrong but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna go with anyway uh for those that might not know um i've been webmaster for a um community gaming magazine so not, not we don't do very much games workshop stuff, uh, but a lot of board games, uh, background, historical gaming, uh, it certainly includes miniature war games, as, uh, role-playing games as well, uh, called Irregular Magazine. Uh, it's free to download PDF. Um, we've been producing it for more than 10 years now. Uh, and if anybody wants to find it, just search for Irregular Magazine in Google, or it's irregular-magazine.com if, if anybody wants to find it. And um, um, there's loads of cool stuff there, going back years, uh, book reviews, um, game reports, uh, scenario ideas, and uh, if you've not come across it before, uh, as I am the Westmaster, let me be very, very clear about that, I have written some of the articles in, in some of the older editions, or not so many recently, um, I, I'd still recommend uh, go and have a look if you've not done so and, uh, and, and have fun, there's some great ideas uh, I think in there uh, that come from um, um, certainly our, our editors and orientalists so if you want some Chinese flavour in your game there's plenty of uh, background articles and ideas to spur uh, creativity in our gaming that can lead to, to good stories in narrative war games It's funny, like this is literally the first you've mentioned it to me and you mentioned it very briefly before the podcast but tonight's the first I heard about it I didn't know this was a thing you did either 
So um, yeah. I think I'll definitely have to check uh, well, it out Well, yeah, it's just there's you know, lots of little things that we pick up and do over time, right? Uh, some people get surprised that we record this podcast together, Tony, as well. So yeah, that's a good thing. Depends which year. Uh, <laughs> I, I know what it's like to pick up some uh, media hobbies without meaning to. I ended up starting a podcast. So yeah. <laughs> I can believe yeah, it's happened to others. How about you, Tony? Have you got anything you want to highlight in the community spotlight in this episode? <laughs> yeah, so... Speaking of starting podcasts, um, as I say, I've kind of have wandered into them in the past myself. I've some of our listeners know that I used to be on the um, Chronicles from the Underhive Necromunda podcast, which was brilliant, and I loved the time I spent with those guys. But fortunately, Tom recently brought that uh, podcast to uh, a very natural and well deserved conclusion after two years of excellent content. Um, but following. Well, the- I- I think you'd be pleased to know that Tom is just about to start playing in our local Necromunda campaign, so uh, he's oh, not awesome. uh, completely lost to the hobby. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. I'm so in touch with him all the time, and um, yeah. he is one of the very active community members in a brand new Facebook group for the brand new Necromunda podcast that followed very heartily on our heels, and that is the uh, the Sump City Radio podcast. Now, let's see, if you want some excellent top quality Necromunda podcast content go check these guys out they what the work they're doing is honestly it's amazing like one of the reasons why I wanted to really shout them out is because I've never known a podcast hit the ground running so well and so completely like comfortable in its skin from day one, like they, they, they've really carved out an identity for themselves, and you need to go listen to it and understand it to really get what it's about. But what they've done is they've got this really unique approach to it, where they're podcasting and producing the show as if they actually are like um, a pirate radio station in the underhive. It's so like they actually are dwellers in the Necromundan hives. And yeah, there's um it sounds a little unusual, but it works really, really well. Um and it, it you you need to go check it out because it's just brilliant. It's funny, it's clever, and it's really informative as well for Necromunda stuff. It's brilliant. They've recently just covered like the um, Dark Uprising and the Corpse Grinder cults and the Enforcers. Um, I know that the guys that do it are really excited about the new um, House of Chains for the Goliath gangs. I think that might be what the next episode is about, or possibly two. But honestly, I think they've only done like three episodes now because they're they're long, but the production quality is amazing, um, and yep. they're totally worth it. And they've had a, a community just flood to them straight away, and they're really like modest guys um, and I couldn't praise them enough because they're honestly doing, you know, hell more's work. <laughs> um, yeah, I completely echo what you say, Tony. I, I, when Chronicles finished, I, I reached out to you for somewhere else to go for Necromunda podcast and you recommended this. I've been listening to it too. And uh, yeah, it really is a, a top quality podcast with a load of great Necromunda content, which uh, of course is just one aspect of 40k, uh, but one that, that we both enjoy as well. So um, yeah, yeah definitely, really, definitely really go check well those guys out. It is like, it's funny, they, they're very modest about it. And in their first episode, they kind of 
outline the concepting of the show a little more. So it's a little more like fourth wall breaking than the rest of their episodes because they're explaining why they decided to do the podcast the way that they have and like how they're planning to sort of run it moving forward. But they've, they run the show like it's an actual radio show that's broadcast across the hive. So they have like weather reports and like, um, uh, traffic updates from across the hive. They have like a, they have characters that are the device thing like their sports reporting section, and they, they even have like um, a cooking spot with uh, like Cannabella and stuff. And it's it's brilliant, and it's all done within this context of the hobby of Necromunda. It, it doesn't lose this idea that you're listening to a show to learn and engage with this excellent tabletop game. But somehow they've managed to expertly craft it around the in-world law, <laughs> and it's yep. it, it's a really unique take on doing a podcast, and it's um it's brilliant. So uh, yeah, definitely go check them out. That is a Sump City Radio, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's my community spotlight. <laughs> and, yeah, no, no, great things to go. So yeah. Um, Thanks for being patient, guys, and for waiting out the last sort of say month, five, six weeks, whatever it's been since we last recorded. Um, I don't know exactly when the next one will be, but hopefully our schedules will sh- uh, sync up at some point soon, and it won't be too long until we can get back into a regular recording sort of routine. But until then, if you haven't done already, please go check out the Facebook group. Go find us all on socials. Um, if you want to buy anything for your hobby, check out the uh, Element Games links we've got below. Um, I recently just put in an order for a bunch of Necromunda things to help me finish off my Chaos Kang. So I'm looking forward to those arriving soon. But unfortunately, I can't contribute to my own <laughs> uh, support for the show, but you guys can. It's, it doesn't cost you anything, and it really will help us. Um, and yeah, like we just want to hear more feedback from the community. Um like I'm thinking of reaching out and trying to get a couple of the the guys in the Facebook group to maybe come forward and join us on the show for some episodes because they've got some brilliant ideas and experiences that I'd love to discuss. So um, yeah, yeah. If you want to get in touch, please do. So you can find. Uh, I'll be checking the Facebook group daily, or you can email me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com. And um, yeah, until next time, guys. This has been the Narrative Wargamer Podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40k.